morning, church. How are you all doing today? So for those of you that don't know me, my name is Ryan Reach. I'm an associate pastor here, and you get the privilege of witnessing my very first sermon. So <laughs> welcome to Emmanuel. Um, before I get started, I do want to, um, I talked to Pastor Gordon before church, and he wanted me to express um, some deep gratitude and appreciation from him and his family for all the calls and cards that they've received since the passing of Vi, and just um, you, church, have been a blessing to him, and he wanted me to make sure I express that to you, so thank you very much. Um, as we get started, let me open us up in a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that we can be in your house, that you've given us your word, Lord, that uh, we can look to it um, in times of, of trouble, um, and it's faithful and true no matter what's going on in our lives. I pray that this morning that you would speak through me, Lord, that you'd set, set me aside, set my nervousness aside, and um, set my personality aside, that, Lord, that everything that, that um, the church hears is from you. We just thank you that uh, you are faithful to us, and um, thank you for how you love us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to start off with a story. Um, a few years ago, um, I was running a lot. I know I don't look like it now, but a few years ago, I was running a lot, and I decided I wanted to run a marathon. And um, so I signed up to run the Oklahoma City Marathon. Uh, my goal was to run it before I turned 40, which I did. I'm now 45 to give you guys an idea how long that's been. Um, and so I was running a lot and I was following my training plan. I was doing all the things I was supposed to do and I felt pretty good about it. So for the day of the race, I made a plan. I, had, I knew what I was gonna do. I knew where I needed to be when I started. I knew when I needed to drink water. I knew when I needed to, this wonderful stuff called goo gel that gives you sugar. I knew when I needed to do that. I had, I had a plan. So the morning of the marathon, we get downtown Oklahoma City. And if you don't know, the Oklahoma City Marathon is actually pretty big. There's about 12,000 people that start at the same time. And um, I really wasn't paying attention to the time. And so the way they do it is there's starting shoots and you line up in there based on what time you wanna run. And so I had a pace I wanted to, set, uh, to run at and so I was supposed to line up in a certain area. Well, I wasn't paying attention. When I went to get in the starting chute, I was clear at the back. I think there was probably at least 10,000 people in front of me. Walkers, walkers, I'm glad they're there for the marathon, but when walkers in a marathon, they like to encourage each other, so they walk side by side like four people. And I'm behind them and I need to run. This was not part of my plan. Um, so then the starting gun goes off and nothing happens. We're just standing there. <laughs> waiting and waiting. Finally, we start moving. We move a little bit faster. I'm walking now. By the time I got to the starting, the actual starting line, I'm actually able to jog a little bit, but there's all these people in front of me and I need some open space to run. So I start running. I run to the left, up on the curb, back to the right, all the way across the street, up on the curb, back to the left, back and forth. And so as you can imagine, I'm running a lot further than I want to because the shortest distance between two points is a straight line, which that was not a straight line. Um, so I was going back and forth and running faster than I wanted as well. This was not part of my plan either. Finally, about a mile and a half into it, things cleared out, and I settled into my pace, and um, things were going good. I was running. I felt good. Um, 13 miles into it, still feeling pretty good. Um, 15 miles into it, um, it starts to rain. And when I say rain, I mean like buckets of water. I was so wet. With every step, there was water squirting out of my shoes. It was not part of my plan. Um, 
so as I continued going, it finally stopped raining and it cleared up and then I was able to keep continue going, slowing down a little bit, not going the pace I wanted. I had set three time goals. My aggressive time goal, which was gone, that was not gonna happen. My realistic time goal, which probably wasn't very realistic, um, but I was still trying for that one. Um, and then it happened. If, how many people are runners in here? I know Ryan Tyree's a runner. If you've run a marathon before, there's something they talk about called the wall. Have you guys heard about this? The wall is a real thing. <laughs> 20 miles, 39-year-old man. I wanted to sit down on the curb and cry. I was done. <laughs> I did. I wanted to cry. I was texting my wife going, okay, I'm not going to be there when I thought. I was thinking about texting her, can you come pick me up? But... Uh, <laughs> I didn't, so I started to walk, and I walked for about a half a mile. Um, this was not part of my plan either. Um, somehow, I started running again, and I did finish um, the last six miles. I don't think my wife thought I was going to make it back to the hotel. Um, I'll tell this part of the story, because it's funny. Um, so I just ran the marathon. Three blocks is all I had to go to the hotel. And I'm walking down the sidewalk, and I get up to the curb, and there's a step at the curb. And I look at it, and I look, I look at my wife, and I do this way, and I found the ramp. I had to go, I, I, I couldn't do the step. So um, my, the point of my story is, just like in my marathon, I had a plan, but things didn't go as, as I'd planned. Life is the same way. We have plans. Things don't always go as planned, and oftentimes they don't go as planned. Um, what I want to talk to you today about is joy and how we can have joy regardless of our circumstances. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Philippians chapter 3, and I'll be reading from the uh, New American Standard Bible, verses 7 through 14. You can follow along on the screens if you don't have a Bible. Um, verse 7, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus." Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to take off my jacket if you guys are okay with that. It's, it's warm up here when you're nervous, and then you add in the spotlights, and um, it just gets a little bit warmer. Um, so... Um, before I start talking about these verses, I want to introduce a little bit of the book of Philippians and, and what, what Paul is doing here and why he's writing to the Philippian church. So the letter to Philippians was written, like I said, by the Apostle Paul um, during one of his times as a prisoner of Rome. Um, it was written around 61 AD. The occasion of the letter is he was writing to thank the Philippian church for what they had done for him. They had sent Epaphroditus a member of their church, to him to bring some gifts. So when you're in prison, he's, he's actually probably in a house, but um, he doesn't have a way to make money, get food, and so he relies on people to bring him things. So the church had sent Epaphroditus to him to, to support him, and he took this opportunity to, to thank the Philippians for that support, but he also wanted to give them an update of what was going on in his life, um, what God was doing while he was in prison, 
He wanted to encourage them um, to strive for humility and unity and imitation in Christ. Um, there was a little bit of a conflict in the church, not a major one, but the, one of the main themes in the whole book is this theme of joy. Um, in fact, in this short four chapters, the word joy or rejoice is used about 16 times. Um, so Paul, in spite of everything, was, was very joyful. One example is in Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, he says, But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way. Share your joy with me. Um, Did you guys catch that? Paul urges the Philippians to rejoice regardless of circumstances. Um, He says that he's joyful even though he's being poured out as a drink offering. So he's suffering and he's still joyful. So as we look at this passage this morning in chapter 3 here, we get a little bit of insight into Paul's frame of mind and how he thinks about things. And that's what I want us to focus on. I want us to see how um, we can find joy in what Paul is thinking. So the first point is finding joy takes a gospel perspective. Christ above all else. Um, Verses 7 through 9, three times in in these verses, Paul uses the term count. Now when we think of the word count, here he's using it in the idea of to convey the idea that you've looked at all the facts, you've weighed them all, and you've come to a final conclusion. Does that make sense? So count it all joy, my, well, that's a different verse, but um, he says, whatever things were gained to me, I've counted as loss. This first time he uses count, he uses it in the past tense. Um, this is important for us to see here is um, in verses five and six, Paul just just listed of things that he um, had in the flesh, things that he could rely on before his conversion. Um, he was, a, he was a, um, a Jew. He was a tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning that both of his parents were Hebrews. Um, he was blameless as to law. He had all these things he could rely on when we, when we look at his life. What he says here is, at the time upon seeing Christ, he counted all that as loss. And so... Paul considered all he had done, all the things that were important to him, all the accomplishments he had made, all the things his life was built upon, he considered lost compared to um, knowing Christ. And what's interesting about that is those things that he counted on were the things that were actually keeping him from Christ. Um, We'll talk a little bit about that later, but um, not only did he count his works as lost, but he says, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So now he switched from past tense to present tense. So he's writing this letter, like I said, in 81, six, uh, 61 AD, which is about 20 years after his conversion to, to Christianity. Um, so he counted it as loss when he made the conversion. Now, 20 years later, he has a chance to look back over his life and look at what he's done what has happened to him, what he's given up. And he still says, it is worth it. I still count all of that as loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And not only that, but he expands it to include everything. So not only was it the stuff that he built his life upon, now that he's been with Christ for 20 years, he says, I count everything as loss compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's a pretty bold statement. It's a pretty big statement. Um, I don't know that, um, many of us could probably say that. Can we say that we count everything as lost compared to Christ? I hope so. I hope that's what we can say. Um, but not only did Paul consider things as lost, as we go to the next one, we see that he actually suffered loss. So it's not that, you know, you can say, 
you know, Christ is more important than my family. I can say that today. But until I've lost my family, that's not tested. Paul was able to test that because he lost all things. And he says, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. He's writing from prison. You guys realize that? He's writing from prison and encouraging the Philippian church to be joyful. He's writing from prison telling them that Christ is worth it. Um, he's no longer esteemed in his Jewish community. He's no longer seen as an elite Jew like he was before. Um, in fact, they're the ones that are responsible for him being in prison. So um, this was not a theoretical counting. He actually experienced the loss of all things. Um, and so what does that mean for us? How do we view our own lives? What is important to you in your daily life? I'm not saying that you have to go out and give up everything that you've worked for. God may not be asking you to give up things. But the question is, is he worth it? Is Christ worth it? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Um, is he so important in life that nothing else is enough? It's easy to fall into the trap, whether you're a believer or not, to think about things and how things can make us happy. Maybe we just need a little bit more money, right? Maybe we need um, a little bit more power at work. If I just get that next job, I'm going to be happy. Maybe we need that boyfriend or girlfriend. We think um, that's going to make us happy. Maybe um, we need the next Xbox or PlayStation. There's kids in here, right? We think things are going to make us happy. And there's some truth in that. Let's, let's be realistic here. When we buy stuff or we get a new Xbox, we feel some feelings of happiness. But that doesn't last. That fades. That happiness fades. Those feelings fade. Um, what we see here is that Paul examined his life and he counted the cost. He looked at what he had accomplished um, the power, the prestige, the respect, the financial gain, all of it, and he considered all of it lost compared to what he had in Christ Jesus, um, his Lord. Now, what I don't want us to miss here is Paul, we're looking at what Paul's thinking and how he views life, but he's addressing something very specific in these verses, and I don't want us to lose sight of that because it's pretty important. Um, he's warning the Philippians about um, the Judaizers who are saying that you have to follow the law to be uh, to, to get to God. You can't just get there any other way. You have to follow law. And, and Paul is warning them about this and telling them that if anybody could earn their way to heaven, it would have been Paul. All those things that we listed off being the Hebrew of Hebrews, the tribe of Benjamin, which happened to be the same tribe that the first king of Israel was from, Saul, who's he named after. All those things he's saying, if I could, if anybody could earn their way to heaven, it would have been me. What he's telling them here is, you cannot work for your salvation. Salvation does not come by works. Look at verse 9. It says, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Being found right with God can only come by faith. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later as well. So not only does finding joy take a gospel perspective, but it takes a godly passion, a desire to know Christ more. Um, Verse 10 says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. So when it says that I may know him, Paul is not talking about knowing Christ in faith. He's been a believer for 20 years. This is not that type of knowing. He's saying, 20 years into my life with Christ, I know Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but I desire to know him more. I want to know him more. That knowledge doesn't come from just studying God's word, by the way. Um, True knowledge comes from what we experience. We experience Christ. Paul experienced Christ through the hard times, through the good times in life. Um, 
And he wanted to see Christ in all of it. Remember, again, I'm going to keep reminding you guys, he's writing this from prison. Um, and he experienced Christ while he was in prison. In chapter 1, not only was he in prison, there's people while he's in prison that are trying to cause him distress. And so they're preaching the gospel in hopes that he will feel more pain because of it. And he's joyful about that they're preaching the gospel. So how do we get to know Christ more? So often as Christians, we think coming to church on Sundays is enough. We can come and we can sit through life group and we can hear a Bible study. We can come and hear a pastor preach a sermon and that's enough. And it's safe, right? We don't put anything at risk by coming to church. But when we really experience Christ is when we do the things that God's asked us to do. When we step out in obedient faith, when we move beyond ourselves and follow the call that he's placed on our life. Um, we are not called just to live the American dream and then give a nod to Jesus by coming to church on Sundays. <clears throat> we are called to be God's ambassadors and boldly proclaim that Christ is enough. Christ is enough. <clears throat> what does God ask you to do that you say to yourself, I could never do that? Guess what? This is one of those things for me. <laughs> Kayla's laughing because the first time I came up to give a prayer in church, she thought I was going to pass out. I am not here of my own power. I don't like being in front of people. I'm here because God called me to do it. He's the one that strengthens me to give me the strength to be here. He can work through me. He can work through you. This is how we get to know Christ more, by being obedient and following what he's called us to do. Not only are we supposed to know him more through the power of his resurrection, which is the power we have available to us, but through the fellowship of his suffering. So this idea flies in the face of much that we hear today in, in the church. Not this church, but many churches. We're, we're taught this prosperity gospel, that if we just have enough faith, things will go well. we'll, we'll we won't be sick. We'll have money. You know, those things that we're told, this flies in the face of that. This is exactly the opposite. Philippians 1.29, Paul says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but you should also suffer for his sake. We are going to suffer in this world. And Paul speaks from experience. Not only is he in prison in Rome, but earlier in 2 Corinthians 11, he lists some things that he goes through. So let me read these to you. This is quite the list of, of things he's gone through since he's been a believer. Five times I, re I have received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys. In danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from my Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Does this sound like the easy life? This all happened after he gave his life to Christ. This is not the easy life. We are going to experience suffering in this world. There are believers all over this world that are suffering for, this, for the name of Christ. If you guys are watching the news, there's a pastor, an American pastor in Turkey right now that's in prison, has been in prison for a while. Um, we will have suffering in this world, um, and there's no getting around it. Um, the promise is not a promise of an easy life, but what God does promise is that he'll be with us through that. Um, Paul, again, in Romans, many of you are familiar with these verses, and they're so powerful. In Romans chapter 8, let me read these to you. Um, starting with verse 35, it says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? 
will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Overwhelmingly, not just conquer, but overwhelmingly conquer these things. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor death nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we go through suffering as believers, Christ is there with us. We need to remember that. Not only is there with us, but he understands our suffering. The prophet Isaiah told us in in Isaiah 53 um, that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. When we go through suffering, we get to know Christ more because he suffered. Does that make sense? We get a little bit of a glimpse of what he went through because he loves us. The things he suffered for were for you and I. Um, We sometimes suffer because of our own doing. Um, He never did. Um, So not only does finding joy take um, a gospel perspective and a godly passion, but it takes a continual pursuit. Um, as, As he goes on in verse 11, he says, that by any means possible, I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. So that when I read that verse, it's kind of interesting that by any means possible, I may, might attain to the resurrection of the dead. It may sound like Paul's not sure about what he's, what's going to happen when he dies. He's sure. He knows. We see that clearly. He knows that he's going to spend eternity in heaven with his Lord and Savior. So what is he talking about here? He's, he's talking about he doesn't know how it's going to happen. Is Christ going to come before and he's going to be taken up to meet him in heaven? Or is Paul going to pass away and be resurrected to be with Christ for eternity? So it wasn't that he was unsure of his destination. He was just unsure of the method. But as we continue on this chapter, we see that it's clear that he is focused on eternity. So let me continue reading verses 12 through 14. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul here says, I'm not perfect. Right? Did you catch that? He admits he's not perfect. He knows that he will be imperfect until the day of the resurrection. He's going to make mistakes. He's going to do things he shouldn't do. In fact, in Romans 7, um, Paul says, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I should. That's not an excuse to sin. And he goes on to make sure that it's clear that we don't have an excuse to sin, but we will sin because we're not perfect. God's working on us still to this day. But when we do sin, we confess, we repent, we ask for forgiveness, and we move on. We forget what lies behind. It's so easy to let sin rob us of our joy. I think about Adam and Eve in the garden. What was their response when they sinned? They ran and hid from God because they were ashamed and embarrassed. Our response should not be to run and hide from God. Our response should be to run to God, confess, repent, and place that in the past and move forward. Um, Paul tells us earlier in Philippians that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. This completions will come at our resurrection, not a minute before, but that doesn't mean we don't press on to continue to grow in our walk with Christ. Joy comes from pursuing a godliness that only comes from, from the Lord 
allow God to conform us to his likeness. Paul is focused on this future glorification on eternity, and we should be too. But not only that, when you talk about forgetting what lies behind, not just the sins that we've committed today, but forgetting our life before we were believers, sometimes it's hard to set that aside. Paul, can you imagine? So Paul's sitting in prison here um, for being a Christian. Before Paul converted, guess what he did? He put people in prison for being a Christian. That's what Paul's legacy was before he was a believer. Do you think that crossed his mind while he's sitting there going, man, this is what I did to all these Christians. I can't believe it. It'd be really easy to get discouraged. Paul had to say, forgetting those things that are behind, I need to look forward, right? Um, So we need to make sure that our past life before Christ doesn't hold us back from living the life God has called us to live. Um, When Paul says forgetting, it means not allowing that to control your life. He does remember it, right? Because he just counted, he just went through those things. He remembers it, but he remembers it in comparison to what he has in Christ. And it gives him that perspective. Um, We cannot let our life before Christ keep us from pursuing the life God has for for us now. We have a new life in Christ if we're believers. Throughout Paul's letter, he encourages believers to things like walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. Put on the new self. All those things are focused on being obedient and, and imitating Christ. Um, Paul's goal and Paul's life is pointed to the day when he will be in eternity with his Lord and Savior so that he might hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to talk to the believers here for a second. Are you daily dying to self? Are you walking in a manner worthy of your calling? Are you focused on being obedient in the life God's placed in front of you? You will not experience joy as a believer if you are living in disobedience to God. You won't. I know. I speak from experience. There was a time in my life that I was not walking with Christ and I was miserable and it was a good thing. God was keeping my attention as a senior in college. I slept for about 15 minutes at a time for a couple hours a night. It was horrible because I knew I wasn't living the life I I had been saved from and I knew I was not living the life God had called me to. But now, thankfully, God has brought me back to himself and I have to forget what lies behind and I need to press on to what lies ahead. But through obedience is where we can experience joy. Now, joy is not an emotion based on circumstances, right? This is not, I'm not promising you that you're never gonna be sad. I'm not promising you that you won't struggle with anger. I'm not promising you that you won't struggle with things as as serious as depression. Um, I was reminded this week about joy. I, I, little things in life can chew away at it. I had, I don't know how many little things came up in this week. And um, as I was preparing the sermon on Wednesday night, I looked at the, the, the title of the sermon and, and God kind of smacked me upside the head and said, you're preaching on this. You need to stop being so pouty and focus on the right things. Um, and so to experience joy, we need to know him more. We need to pursue him in our daily lives. We need to make sure we have a godly perspective. Let me ask you three questions here. Um, And those are, do you value Christ above all else? Whether you're a believer or not, this is a question everybody has to to evaluate. Because if you're not a believer, there's something you have to do. But if you're a believer, do you still value Christ above everything else? Or have you let things creep into our life and chew away at what we really desire? Are we desiring to move up in our jobs? We're losing sight of what Christ has called us to do. Um, we're deciding to make sure we're comfortable or we have a comfortable retirement. 
I know Christ is important, but I really want to retire comfortably and, and live my life where I can travel some. And those things aren't bad, but if God's called us to do something else, make sure we're doing the things God calls us to do. Do you desire to know Christ even more? Do you desire him just enough to come to church and, and hear about him on Sunday? Or do you desire to dig into his word throughout the week and to experience him and to, to take Christ and, and, and reflect on your life and what he's asking you to do? Are you focused on eternity? Because someday we will stand before um, our Lord and Savior and have to account for the things we do. Even as believers, we're going to have to give an account. And I want to hear him say, well done, that good and faithful servant. I hope you do as well. So I'm going to conclude as Mark and Lisa, you guys can go ahead and come. Um, I'm going to ask, this was really quick. I, I knew I'd talk very, very fast. Um, so this might give me extra points if I get us out of here sooner, right? Does that, does that give me points? Um, Anyway, so every head bowed, every eye closed for a minute. Um, I want to talk to two different groups of people this morning. First, for those of you that do not have a personal relationship with Christ, true joy can only be found in a relationship with Christ. Maybe you're sitting here today and you've been trying to be good enough, to do enough good things to outweigh your wrong. I want to tell you, um, honestly, you're fighting a losing battle. God is a holy and just God. He cannot ignore sin um, God's standards perfection. Even the Apostle Paul could not achieve perfection. Thankfully, God's word tells us that being reconciled to God is not dependent upon our works. Um, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works that no one should boast. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, God couldn't love me. I've done too many things in my life that God can't love me. Listen to me closely. Christ did not come to save righteous people. He came to save the sinner. God's love, mercy, and grace are enough. His blood can cover your sin. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to know him. The second group of people I want to talk to are those that have a relationship with Christ. Um, are you struggling with joy in your life? Again, I'm not promising you'll never be sad or angry or depressed, but you can have a joy that is in the Lord. Maybe you need to consider where, um, where you would be without Christ. Do some counting like Paul did. Look at your life and do some counting and compare that to what you know you have in Christ. Maybe you need to renew your desire to know him and to grow in your relationship with Christ. Knowing Christ is a lifelong activity. Even after 20 years, Paul still understood he needed to continue to know Christ more. Um, consider what God is saying to you this morning. Um, if you've never placed your faith in Christ, um, after I pray, I'm going to close this in a word of prayer uh, and we'll have some music. Come forward and take my hand. We have people here that would love to tell you how you can have a relationship with Christ. Maybe you're looking for a church home or maybe you've been attending for a while and you've been putting off making commitment to join the church. Today is that day. Maybe you just need to come to the altar and pray and, and just talk to God about um, where things have been going in your life. Um, I ask that um, as after I pray, if those, any of those decisions or things you'd like to make, just please come forward and take my hand. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that you love us. We again, thank you for your word. We thank you that we can have joy in all circumstances, God. I pray that this word that you've given me, Lord, that it would go out and that um, people would take it to heart and they would evaluate where they're at. That maybe they do some counting and look at their life and say, is my life, how does that compare to what I have in Christ? Um, God, I pray that we'd be obedient as a church and that we do all that you ask us to do. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.